Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. During the holidays, um, usually around Thanksgiving, sometimes at Christmas, uh, everybody goes to Mary's sister's house. And we, um, we go there because one of her sisters has this farm, has lots of animals for the kids to play with. <clears throat> and uh, she always makes sure she's got a small horse, you know, like a pony or uh, a, just a miniature horse, so that the little kids, the grandkids, will have a horse to ride. And one of my grandsons was uh, riding, taking his turn on the horse. And <clears throat> so he was pulling back on the reins and then, and then kicking the horse a little bit with his heels to get him to go forward. But he was pulling back on the reins while he was doing it. And, and so Mary's sister said, hey, let me help you and show you how to do that. And the first words out of his mouth was, I know what I'm doing. Well, obviously you don't, because <laughs> where's the horse going? Not going anywhere, because you're, you're sending the horse confusing signals. And, uh, but w- w- there's just something, now he's a Brock, I don't know where that came from, um, but there was just something in his brain, kind of like, I, you know, I've got, to, I've got to be confident, I've got to know what I'm doing, so therefore I'm just going to declare, I know what I'm doing, even though he doesn't. And <clears throat> so as a result, he didn't go anywhere. Well, you know, a lot of times we do that in our spiritual walk, in our Christian life. We, we act like we got it. I got this. I understand. I know what I'm supposed to do. And yet our life isn't moving forward at all because we're giving conflicting signals to ourselves. And especially when the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to go in this direction and you're wanting to go in that direction. So you're getting these conflicting signals, and one of them is coming from you. So in this period of time, in this series, we're going to ask ourselves some questions and kind of lay some foundational stuff. Um, An overarching question that I want us to ask ourselves for a period of time is, are you living your life in Christ or is Christ living his life in you? There's a huge difference between those two things. I posed that question to you last week and we're going we're gonna to keep talking about that some because that gets to the heart of the issue that so many of us face. And when you get to that place of realizing you know what, I don't have all the answers. I, I don't know everything that's going on. I don't know everything there is to know about the scripture. I, I don't know everything there is to know about this walk, this Christian walk that we're told about. I don't understand a lot about the Holy Spirit, even though he lives in me and, and plays a huge role in my life. I, I understand so little about him And so as we're going through this, an ongoing question is, should be, okay, what's going to be next for me? Because the Bible pretty much tells me this. Here's some foundational stuff. And this is to believers. This life is preparing us for eternal life. 
So this is like on-the-job training. And I'm learning more and more about what it means to be a Christ follower, to be fulfilled with Jesus, to be more like Jesus. And all of this is to prepare me for my role in heaven. Do you, you know, a lot of people think we just go to heaven and chill out for eternity. But you actually, based on scripture, have a queenly role. I, I mean, the, one of the first things that will happen in heaven with us as believers is that we are wed together with Jesus. And he is the king and we are his queen. And we will reign with him. We are co-heirs with him. And he is preparing us for that queenly role that you and I will have in heaven. That's, that's pretty exciting if you ask me. Uh, because of all the stuff I don't have to deal with up there. I, I don't have to deal with the temptations, the struggles, and all the stuff we deal with down here. So if I could just get it in my brain that this life, short-lived, temporary, I mean the phrases that the Bible uses to describe this life are like a flower that's here today and that's gone tomorrow, a cloud that's there and then the next moment it's gone. That, those are the kind of phrasing, phrasing that the scripture uses to describe this life. But why is it that we as believers spend most of our energy and our time on this life instead of getting ourselves ready for the next life? Now, I'm not talking about disengaging from this life because we're told just the opposite in Scripture. But we're told about what what matters, what we need to focus on, what needs to be the, the laser beam focus of my life in light of heaven and eternity. So with that in mind, we're just gonna go through some passages. And one of the, one of the foundational passages that will be there for us in this series, it's not in your notes, but it's, it's in Galatians 2, verse 20. Where he says, my old life has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So as a believer, I would ask you, is that true about you? Is it true about you that it's no longer you that's trying to live your life? but it's you getting out of the way and becoming less and less so that Christ can become more and more and that Christ is actually living his life through you. Well, I think one of the keys to understanding that is understanding the Holy Spirit. The least understood of the Trinity and there's so much we are ignorant about when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And yet, he's the one that lives in us. He's the one that Jesus sent when he went back to heaven. 
So it's the Holy Spirit that lives in you. The presence of God is in you through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to read later about what all the power is involved in that presence because it's pretty overwhelming. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Let's make sure we have a good understanding about the Holy Spirit. Uh, And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But he says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So now there's a couple of definitions we need to think about. That the, the key phrase in there to me is the rich and satisfying life. What does that mean? Because there's a lot of different definitions about that. There's God's definition, there's the world's definition, and then there's your definition. Now, the world's definition is money and stuff. Power, position, possessions. That's the world's definition. That's the definition given to us by the prosperity preachers. That God wants you to be dollar rich. God wants you to have the big mansions, the fancy cars, and the private jets like they do. <laughs> and, and, and so that's, that's the purpose, and that's the definition. They'll go to this verse and say, even Jesus said he wants you to be rich but they're using the world's definition. But then there's God's definition. God wants us to be rich in him. He wants us to be satisfied with him. He he wants himself to be enough for us. That's why the person who may be at the bottom of the pile by the world's standards can be in the number one position by God's standards. Rich in Jesus. Satisfied with Jesus. See, God's definition is so different from the world's definition. So the real question, though, is what is your definition You know, I think what happens to us as believers, we try to merge those two. We try to take a little bit of the world and a little bit of God, and we try to find a way to make them coexist. God, I I just want to have enough to be happy. I just want to be happy. You know what? That prayer is nowhere in scripture. And and God's really not focused on your happiness. He's focused on your holiness. He wants you to be so like Jesus because that's where you will find the greatest riches and the deepest satisfaction. I I mean, look at it this way. God's definition is I want you to have a rich and satisfying life. So I want you to be satisfied in Jesus, who, by the way, owns the whole universe. Everything belongs to him. And all authority is his. And I want you to be made complete and full 
in him. So why wouldn't I chase after that? To, to be a part of his kingdom and, and his world instead of this world. So uh, I want to challenge you to think through what is your definition of a rich and satisfying life. And the reason you need to do that is because that is the foundation of almost every decision you make. What's going to make you happy? You ought to know what definition you're living by. And if you, if you just, um, just keep the status quo, you're going to get the same results. So here's a couple of things. Let's, let's get into talking about the um, Holy Spirit. If you're going to have a rich and satisfying life, you, you have to make sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit, with God's Spirit. You have an obligation to make sure that that's a true statement. You don't have to make it happen because God's the one that did that. But listen to Ephesians 5.18. It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you could be true to this text if you, you say, don't be drunk with anything else Meaning, don't let anything else control your life. When you're drunk, by definition, that means some outside source is controlling you. The alcohol, the drugs, maybe it's another person. Something else or someone else is controlling you. And maybe you're drunk in a wrong relationship. Maybe you're drunk with power. Maybe you're drunk with status. And what happens is it's an outside force that is controlling you and controlling your decisions. So don't think that this verse is just talking about alcohol. It's talking about a lot of stuff. It's talking about anything that controls you. So just don't do it. Because... It will ruin your life. That is a cause and effect. You do this, this is the end result. You let something control you. If you cause, allow yourself to be drunk with something else, it will ultimately ruin your life. Maybe, maybe not at first, Maybe not initially, but ultimately it will ruin your life. I mean, a non-believer, a non-believer can have an amazing life. They can be drunk with power and drunk with status and position. And by the world standards, they seem to have it all. And everything couldn't be more wonderful for them than you. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, I was looking at some articles recently where uh, some of the top wealthiest guys on the planet were on average making a billion dollars every two weeks. A billion every two weeks. I can't wrap my mind around that. Now, that seems like, hey, if anybody's got a rich and satisfying life, it would be them, right? But according to that scripture, ultimately it will ruin them. 
Well, how was that? Well, it might cost them their eternal soul. Now, can a rich guy be, well, uh, be a believer? Yeah. I mean, several, a couple of those guys have come out and said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a believer. But, but if they live for that and not for the Lord, the ultimate ruin of their life is an eternity, an eternity in hell. I, I watched a special, I mean, I don't know why I watched it because it was just repulsive uh, about the Epstein guy who apparently committed suicide in jail while he was waiting his prison sentence. And by the world's definition, he had a rich life. You know, billionaire. He was more than sexually satisfied. In result, it ruined his life. And I think we could be safe to say for eternity. For eternity. What does it profit a person to gain the world and yet lose their own soul? Hmm. It'll ruin your life. But your job is to make sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the cool thing about that is you don't have to beg for it. You don't have to beg for the Holy Spirit to come into your life. Jesus promised him. And so your job is just to open your life to the Holy Spirit. And you do that through Jesus Christ. The moment you prayed to receive Christ, the Holy Spirit came into your life. So now as a believer, I need to make sure that he is in charge of my life. See, there's a difference between you walking down this life with Jesus and the, with the Holy Spirit over here as your, as your safety guide. All right, I'll call on you when I need you. And if I need some stuff, I'll, I'll let you know. And uh, so just go with me. Versus, hey, I'm gonna follow you. You lead the way. You show me the steps to take. You show me where I need to go. You show me what to do. And according to scripture, you've promised to give me everything that I need to do that. That's pretty cool. So my job as a believer is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. First John says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything. Boy, it's nice. It would be nice if it stopped right there. But there, there are three words that absolutely defines that verse. Let's just stop those three words. Just pretend like they're not there. For we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Well, man, it's amazing how three words change that verse. Those two sentences that pleases him, that pleases him.
You know, God very graciously says no to you multiple times. I get a kick when I go to my kids' houses and watch them say no to their kids. I laugh and laugh and laugh inside, not outside. And I just see it in their face. That face looks very familiar to me. <laughs> Back when I was saying no to them. <laughs> but they, as a parent, they get it. They realize if I don't say no, I'm setting them up for failure. So I show love by saying no sometimes. And this God's, God's no less than that. I mean, God loves you by, I, I, you know, I think it would be a, 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 a real hoot to go to heaven and, and God pull out a list and says, here's all the things I said no to you about. And, and just for some fun, let me show you what your life would have been like if I had said yes. Man, I think you might fall on your face and say, oh, thank God you saved me by saying no. Thank you for what you protected me from. God is a loving God, and as a parent, you're no different. A parent who says yes to everything is not a parent, but has acquiesced and allowed the child to be the one in authority. God... So let's go back and read the verse correctly. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. You want to save yourself some headaches? Why don't you up front say to God, guide my prayers so that I'm praying for what pleases you. And that's a Holy Spirit thing. Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit teaches you how to pray. So why not talk to the Holy Spirit? He lives in you. He's right there. Just talk to him and say, Holy Spirit, you know, as I'm praying, will you just steer me away from the things that don't please you? And will you nudge me towards the things that do please you? Oh, that's a good prayer. And that's a prayer he would love to answer. One of the reasons you get very frustrated in your prayer life is because you feel like God never says yes. You're not praying the prayers he wants to say yes to. So ask him to guide you into those prayers. Here, here's the second thing. If I'm going to really live a life in the spirit, and I, if I'm going to let Christ live his life in me, then I've got to get ready for spiritual conflict. It's guaranteed. It's a promise. I'm told that. I mean, Jesus said, the world hated me and it's going to hate you. So I have to look at spiritual conflict from the viewpoint of eternity, which means it's short-lived. Spiritual conflict is short-lived, and here's how I know that. Well, there are three sources that it comes from. One is the world. Well, the world has got an uh, expiration date on it. God's already set an expiration date on the world. In 1 John, he tells us 
Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. They don't coexist. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything that you see. And pride in our achievements and possessions. That's what the world offers to you. So you struggle and I struggle with those three things because it's what the world is always feeding us. And if I'm always watching what the world and if I'm always eating on what the world offers and puts on the table for me to consume, then I'm going to struggle even more. And when I bring in this mass amount of influence from the world and just a sliver of the influence of God's word and the Holy Spirit, well, I'm going to be in constant conflict because I'm going to be drawn over here because that's where I'm spending all my time. It says, these are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. So that means it's temporary. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And you know what pleases God? Is that you ask Jesus into your life. And when you do what pleases God, you will live forever by accepting Jesus. So that's a major source of conflict. And when you spend all your time thinking about and looking at the things of physical pleasure and obtaining what you don't have and bowing your back and puffing out your chest about your accomplishments and your possessions, well, that's... That's not from God. It's not. And you're clinging to things that do not matter. Mary, Mary and I have made this commitment. And we've already started the process. We both went through unpacking our parents' homes with all their stuff. And uh, so Mary's house, her parents' house that they had lived in for decades, and my mom with all the stuff she had collected, and we both had the privilege of joy <laughs> of going through all that stuff and convincing certain people of what needs to be thrown away. And we just decided, you know what, if we really love our kids, we won't put them through that. So we're going to pack it up and go ahead and take it to them now. <laughs> and I'm telling you, everything that is, belongs to them, we have already started packing it up and taking it to them and say, if you want to throw it away, that's great. That's your business because it's yours. But we're starting to go through our stuff and we're, you know, we just took a load of furniture up to Mac and Meredith the, uh, the other day. And, uh, and, and so, you know, we're just saying, hey, 
let them go ahead and start enjoying it now. And if we divide it up now, they don't have to bicker over who gets what later. And, and, uh, and it's just less stuff for us have to think about. Start cleaning out the stuff that clutters your brain. Then the flesh, that's spiritual warfare. In Galatians 5.17, it says the sinful nature wants to do evil. So you have a sin nature, and you didn't get it as you got older. You were born with it. You have a sin nature that it wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And so that's, what it, that's why when you pray to receive Christ, the Bible describes it in phrases like, you died to yourself. You died to your sin nature. That's what you died to. And, and so then you start to desire what the Holy Spirit wants. And here's what it says. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And you know where the battleground is? In you, <clears throat> in your mind, and in your heart. And it says, so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. <clears throat> so you can always desire the right things, but you're in this battle with your flesh. Well, praise God, this flesh doesn't live forever. This, just like the earth, has an expiration date. So I don't have to take this to heaven. And I'm happy about that. The world doesn't go to heaven. This doesn't go to heaven. But who I really am in my spirit, that's who goes to heaven. The Bible says in Galatians 5.16, the verse just prior to that, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives so that you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So instead of the Holy Spirit sitting over here just trying to be your helper when you need him or being back behind you cleaning up your mess as you mess up things, let him be in front to be your guide. I mean, every time I go on a trip and I've and I, we have a tour guide who's always in the front of the line, the tour guide. They know where they're going. They know what they're doing. My job is to follow them. The Holy Spirit is your tour guide. But he's more than that. He's your spiritual guide. He's saying, this is what I, this is what I want you to work on. This is an attitude I want you to get rid of. Here, here's, here's a constant struggle you got, and I, I want to help you overcome this. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So get him out in front of you, and you follow him. So you've got the world, you've got the flesh, and then in 1 Corinthians, it also tells me about the flesh. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. So we're all in the same boat. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Hmm. If that's true, then why do I, I always mess up? 
Well, the next verse tells me why. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. So here's the deal. There's always an exit door. Whenever you're tempted, there's already an exit door. And God's Holy Spirit will always show you where that door is. But here's the deal. You have a brief moment to get out that door. So here's the promise of scripture. No matter what you're tempted with, there's always an escape route, always. But if you don't take that escape route, then you are destined to fall into the trap of the temptation. And the longer you hang around the temptation, the more desirable it becomes. Adam and Eve, why did they ever go to that tree to begin with? But when they found themselves at that tree, they had an escape route. And that escape route was any direction. All they had to do was go in any direction and go to another part of the garden. All they had to do was call out to God because he was, he was there. All they had to do was say no to Satan. But they hung out. And the longer they hung out there, the Bible says, and the fruit became desirable. The longer you hang out with temptation, the more desirable it becomes. Well, you have a third source of an enemy who also has an expiration date on him. You got the world, you got your flesh, and then there's the devil. The Bible says in 1 Peter, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Hmm. You have, as a believer, authority over him because you have the Holy Spirit. Now, you don't rebuke him. The Bible's clear about that, but God will rebuke him. It says, be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Well, let's just make sure we understand who the devil is. Why do we have such a problem with him? Well, 2 Corinthians tells us that he disguises himself as an angel of light. So pretty impressive, pleasing. Uh, the Bible says he's the father of lies. That means he invented lies. You know, he told the very first lie in the garden. He told Eve when she said, if I eat of this tree or touch it, I'll die. And Satan said, you will not die. Well, that was just a bold-faced lie. That was the first lie ever told. He's the father of lies. And he knows what lies you're willing to believe. You see what happens? Your flesh becomes so strong, desired towards something, the world 
puts out the temptation, your flesh desires it, and Satan lies to you about it and convinces you that it'll be okay. So you got all three working against you. But let me tell you who Satan is not. He's not a person. He's not self-existent. That means he didn't create himself. He's not sovereign. You see, some people think, well, Satan is in charge of hell. No, hell's his prison. That's where he's going to be punished for eternity. He's not omni, uh, uh, omniscient, meaning he knows everything. Uh, he, he does not have all power. He does not have all presence. He's only in one place at one time. Chances are you've never, ever dealt with the devil. You've dealt with his emissaries. And one day, he'll be gone. So the world, your flesh, and the devil will all be gone. Praise God. In the meantime, God has given me the Holy Spirit to deal with all three. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important. So the last thing I want you to know is to know your resources as a child of God. Know who you are and what you have. Ephesians 1 says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us, for us who believe him, so for all Christians. Now, get what this power is. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Whoa, are you kidding me? God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of you. So here's what this means, literally means. This Holy Spirit who shouldn't be behind you to clean up your mess or shouldn't be beside you just for when you need him, he needs to be your guide in front of you and he has put in you the power that was used to raise Jesus from the dead, which, by the way, was the same power used to create the universe. That's in you. So when you say, I don't have what it takes, you're calling God a liar. Because God says, wait a minute. You've got me. So you've got what it takes. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got what it takes. You've got the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You've got what it takes. Well, I just can't help myself. The world's just too appealing. Well, you're hanging around it too much. Well, I'm, I just desire all this stuff. Yeah, but I've given you a way out. Well, the devil's always messing with me. I've given you authority over him. And I've always given you a way out. You've chosen not to take it. So 
So when the next time you're tempted, think of the word escape, exit door. God, where's the exit door? Back when I was a youth minister and our students, when they'd go off to college, I would, uh, this is back before cell phones, but I would give them my personal phone number and I would tell them, when you find yourself somewhere you, where you shouldn't be, you call me and you can call me collect. Because, you know, back in the day, you just couldn't make a phone call, right? Yeah, at long distance call. I said, you call me collect. You'd be amazed that that would happen. I never forget one time I got a three, three o'clock in the morning phone call. And it was one of our college girls. And she said, Don, I'm at a party. I don't need to be here. I said, is there somebody that can pick you up? Nope. I said, all right, we're going to call a cab. We're going to get you out of there. You know, we talked later and, you know, had she stayed, she'd be living with those scars the rest of her life. God always gives you an escape. And you can call him collect anytime. See, Jesus said, he said it this way. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You're the branch. Those who remain in me and I in them, you will produce not just fruit, you'll produce a whole bunch of fruit. But apart from me, you can't do a single thing that's of any eternal value. So, a result based on what Jesus said, you are no longer under sin's control. That's truth. You are alive to God. That's truth. Give yourself completely to God. That's something worth doing. Obey God. That's living a life by faith. Let's pray.